You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Don't stand just yet. We're going to read a few different passages along the way as we get to it. Exodus chapter 2 is where we'll start tonight. And uh, I'm, I, have, I didn't intend for it to become kind of a series here, but uh, the Lessons in Isolation uh, mini-series, I might call it, um, has been a help to me uh, as we go through these. We've looked at in the life of Jacob and how he stopped wrestling and started clinging. We looked at the life of Joseph for two weeks and how your character's revealed uh, what you really are is revealed in isolation, and then how our private patterns become public practices. And, uh, and we're going to see tonight, then, look at somebody else who experienced a, a, a long period of time of isolation. And he was in isolation because of failure. And then we'll see then how God prepared him in isolation to do something big for God. And so tonight we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. And I'm going to pray and just ask God to bless the message, and then we'll get into it. Father, we're asking for your help. I pray that you would call me and help me to be focused on what I ought to be. And I pray that you'd help us each to learn a lesson from Moses and his isolation. And it is important how we respond to failure uh, really can make or break us. And I pray that you would help us tonight uh, to see that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever done something so embarrassing that you just wanted to crawl into a hole and never be seen again? I think probably any of us or most of us uh, have been there before. I think we've all been through that experience. I'm going to give you a, an example of one of those experiences for myself and maybe tell on myself a little bit here tonight. But one time my family and I, just a few years ago, we went to uh, Red Robin, the restaurant. And it's a great place with burgers. They have endless fries. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm sure, I don't even know if it's open here yet or not. But we really like to go there, and we were eating there, and I had to use the restroom. So I went into the restroom, and, and I was in the restroom, in the stall. And, and while I was there, I, saw, I heard the door open to the bathroom, and I saw one of my girls uh, in her, of course, her long skirt and her girly shoes come into the bathroom, and then immediately run back out. So in my mind, I, I am laughing to myself, and I'm like, when I get out, I'm going to give them a hard time. I, I don't remember which, which girl it was that, that had come into the, to the men's restroom there, and I was going to come out and just make fun of them, you know, just in, you know, good Christian dad, you know, and, and enjoy some time with the family, and and you kind of rib each other. That's kind of what families do sometimes. So I came out, and uh, I, was, I was smiling from ear to ear, and I was thinking, this is hilarious of what just happened. Then I come to the table. As I'm approaching the table, uh, my wife and all of my kids have red faces, and they're not really laughing that much. They're smiling, but they look more embarrassed than anything. Come to find out, my daughter had not gone into the wrong bathroom. Her dad was sitting in the wrong bathroom. I had gone into the women's restroom and had no idea. And honestly, in that moment, I just knew the whole restaurant was watching me. And I couldn't believe I'd done that. And it's worse, dads, when you do something like that in front of your kids. It's even more humiliating. 
Um, but those are the kind of mistakes we make sometimes. If you've tripped in front of a group of people, if you've, if you've done something embarrassing, that doesn't mean that you're a loser. It means you're a human. We're all human, and, and we've all gone through those times. But when they happen, I don't know if this is your response or not, but our natural response, most of us, we want to hide. We want to crawl under a rock and not be seen for a while. And, you know, if our response to embarrassment is to hide, then I'm going to get a little bit more serious here and say then, imagine how much greater our desire to disappear is when there's a sinful failure. When there's a very public sin or a very public failure. In those cases, it's much more than embarrassment. There's a feeling of shame. And if you feel like disappearing, if you've ever tripped in front of a crowd or dropped something or or if you've embarrassed yourself, if you've ever wanted to disappear in those moments, imagine then feeling um, like you would if you fall on your face spiritually or you fall on your face morally. And that happens too, and the natural move is toward isolation. We're not even even forced into it many times, but we want it. We we want to disappear. We we don't want somebody uh, to see our face. We want to hide. You don't want to show your face in public again because the real you has been exposed in a real way. You know, and I use that as an illustration, in some ways a silly illustration, but also to highlight the human tendency to want to hide when we've done something that is either embarrassing or shameful. And in many ways, that's what Moses is dealing with here in Exodus chapter 2 because he's had a very public failing. Look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. So I'm just going to stop right there and tell you that Moses is sympathetic toward the Hebrews. And, And I'll give you a little bit more of his backstory. Most of us understand Moses is the prince of Egypt. Uh, He's been raised the the son of Pharaoh's daughter by way of a river rescue, but he was born a Jew. He was born a Hebrew, and at a time that Pharaoh was very threatened by by the Jewish people, he had ordered all of the newborn sons there in Egypt to, of the Jewish people to be killed. And rather than uh, submitting to that, uh, Moses' mother had built him a little ark of, 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 of flags or bulrushes. She had built this little ark or a little floating device, almost a floating bassinet, and stuck him in there as a way to protect him from being murdered like all the other newborn Jewish boys. So Pharaoh's daughter is one day down by the riverside. I know many of you have heard this story. Uh, She's down by the river and she sees this baby floating and she sends her servants. They pick up the baby, bring bring the baby to her. She looks at the baby and falls in love, instant love with Moses as a baby and adopts him as her own. So he's raised in Pharaoh's palace. He's raised as royalty and he's given every privilege and the best education. And yet he knows that he's a Hebrew. Uh, maybe because of the influence of his own mother who nursed him as a divine act of God's providence. Uh, he knows that he's a Hebrew. He knows he's a Jew. Maybe, his, maybe Pharaoh's daughter had told him the story. We don't know exactly how he knows, but he's, he is a, a royal, and yet he's sympathetic to the plight of the Jews. He comes across there in verse 11, this Egyptian that's beating up one of his brothers, a Hebrew, 
And it says in verse 12, and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he takes matters into his own hands. He sees this Egyptian smiting this Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian with his own hands and he hides his body in the sand. Well, the next day he goes back out and he sees two more of his brothers, two Hebrews. In verse 13, it says, when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So he sees his two of his brothers, two Hebrews, and they're now fighting with each other. And Moses confronts them about their, their fighting and, and one why one is smiting the other one. And look at their response in verse 14. And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? At that point, you know Moses realizes that his deed has traveled through the Hebrew camp. And very, it won't be very long before the news of him killing an Egyptian, probably a soldier, um, uh, that he, he killed an Egyptian. You know that that news, if it's traveled through the Jews, it won't be long and that news will reach Pharaoh. And, he's, and he realizes when Pharaoh hears of it, he better be nowhere around. So look what happens at the end of verse 14. Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And then 15, when now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Pharaoh hears of it, and sure enough, uh, he wants Moses' head. So Moses does what any human being does in a situation like this after a major failure, one that has gone public, and he flees. And you know where he finds himself? He finds himself in isolation. He finds himself in solitude, and he doesn't just find himself there, he seeks it. He goes somewhere that he's, he's likely never been, somewhere where nobody knows him. He finds himself alone in a strange land. And this is, and I have two very simple points tonight. I don't want to just give you a simple thought. The first point tonight is that failure leads to isolation. Failure leads to isolation. We've been talking about isolation and it's not always by our choice, but sometimes we make decisions that are failures and they lead us to isolation. We're there because of a decision we've made. Human nature says, I just want to get away. I just want to hide. I want to seek solitude. And it's worse when it's sin. And it's not just a simple mistake. It's one thing if you, if you trip in front of a group of people. It's another to make a decision that, that is a sin and it is beyond a simple mistake. Or a major, it's a major failure. Moses killed somebody. This was not part of God's plan for Moses' life. You know what's interesting though? Is some people will give Moses credit because if you read Acts 7. Here's what Acts 7 says about Moses and, and his motives. It says, and when he was full 40 years old. It came into his heart to visit his brethren the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong. He defended him and avenged uh, him that was oppressed. And smote the Egyptian. For, and listen, this is insight into Moses' mindset. It says, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. You know, what's interesting there is that there's a lot more going on in Moses' mind here. Moses is not just angry that an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. No, he views himself 
as a Hebrew at this point, he sees himself as being the potential deliverer for, for Israel. In his mind, he's thinking, I might be the guy that can take my people out of Egypt and deliver them from bondage. And he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to start taking care of business with this Egyptian right now. And, and you might say, well, he, but he was trying to do something good. And I would agree that his motive, if his motive was deliverance, that's a good motive. But he went about it the wrong way, folks. He tried to do God's work in his own strength. He had his own plan for getting God's work accomplished. And it's a sin to leave God out of the process when we try to work for him. It's a sin to try to serve God in our own strength. It's a sin to try to do things in our wisdom and strength and leave God out of it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God is our strength. God is our refuge. And he's not interested in what we do, just what we do, but in how we do it. See, Moses' sin was trying to do God's work in Moses' strength. And his first attempt at deliverance, can we say it this way, his first attempt at deliverance failed miserably. And what he thought was this private failing, it says he looked this way, he looked that way, there's no man, that's what it says, he thought nobody saw it, he thought it was private, and yet very soon, the next day, he realizes his, what he thought was private turned very public, this public failing just spread throughout the land immediately. Moses hears about it. He wants to kill, I'm sorry, Pharaoh hears about it. He wants to kill Moses. Everybody heard about what Moses had done. This is like Moses walking through the cafeteria in front of a full, a full group of high school kids and tripping and spilling his food all over the principal. This is not a private failing. This is a public failing and everyone has seen it. I don't know, I'm asking you today, have you ever tried to do God's work in your own strength? Have you ever, uh, you ever get to the place that you no longer, teachers, no longer seek God's help uh, when you're preparing your lesson because they're just little anyway? Or do you ever uh, get to the point where you don't pray or acknowledge him before you try to invite somebody to church and ask the Holy Spirit to do work on somebody's heart? Those involved in music ministry, do you ever sing in the choir or get involved in special music and it doesn't dawn on you to ask God for his help and strength before you do? Parents, uh, you want to raise your, your children for God. You ever get to the place where you're trying to raise them for God, but days go by without operate, ever opening his word, without ever getting on your knees to express your dependence on him for strength. We are such self-dependent creatures of habit and I wonder how much of God's work done by members of Eastside Baptist Church is done without considering God at all, without leaning on his strength, without seeking his help. And it may not be as public, but it's as much a sin for us as it was for Moses. You cannot do God's work in your own strength and not have it fail. But here's the correlation. See, both public and private sins lead to isolation. See, for somebody whose sin is public or whose failure is visible, they may seek solitude out of shame. They may go into isolation because everybody saw them. But for those who hide their sin behind a cloak of, of spirituality, we find ourselves in isolation 
because the sin of pride and self-dependence are an affront to God. See, those that fail in public, they may find themselves in isolation out of shame, but those that fail in private and sin and try to do God's work in our own strength, we're just as isolated from God because sin keeps us at bay. Sin keeps distance between us and God. And we may not think it's as big as a public failing, but private failings isolate us from God just as much as any public failing ever has. God can't be in the presence of sin. Pride and self-trust may be private sins, but God sees them. We've been talking about social distancing. I'm so tired of the phrase, social distancing. I've been talking about it a lot lately. I, my son, my Jace, has been say, throwing it around every once in a while. Social distancing. But you know, I think we need to shift our attention to the, end, to the issue of spiritual distancing. Because I believe that many of God's people, especially maybe in this time of isolation, but probably before this, they live in a, in a situation of spiritual distancing, but nobody sees it because it's all private sins, it's private failings. But private sins create spiritual distance between us and God just as much as a public failing does. And I do believe that many in this generation of Christianity have risen up in their own strength and wisdom, almost forgetting that about God and, and doing His works apart from His blessings. I truly believe we can fall into that. We haven't had much reason to depend really on God in our country in recent years. Things are pretty easy. Things that, maybe COVID-19 is a wake-up call. Maybe God's people need to daily depend on God again. We need to stop doing things out of routine and stop doing things in our own strength and realize that God's strength is necessary and only in God's strength can we accomplish God's work. God help us not to attempt to do his work without him. When it's done in our strength, we don't have his blessing. I was reading 1 Peter 4 this week. It says, and as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And what he's saying is that as you receive the gift, it's all of God. Minister that way. Make sure that, you, that people know that God is the only reason that you have a gift to minister to. And grace of God is the only reason you can do anything for somebody else. But he says, if any man speak, let him speak as, of, as the oracles of God. If a man minister, let him do it as the, of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And I love the way he says it. Listen, if you're going to speak, use God's words. If you're going to minister, minister as somebody that only has the ability to do anything because God gave you the ability. And that way, God gets the glory when you do it. You see, listen, when we do God's work without God's help or God's strength, it's like taking the glory from God that he deserves. I don't want to be guilty of that. And it's the same message that Jesus Christ gave the Pharisees when he says, you have your reward. You do what you do to be seen of men in your own strength. You, that's all the reward you're going to get. If you do what you do to be seen of men, don't even, don't even consider God in the process I mean, don't expect reward. Don't expect blessing. 
See, Moses has this massive public failure in that he tries to operate in his own strength. And folks, we do too. We very often try to do God's work in our strength. We will fall on our faces every time. When we try to serve God with our own resources and our own limited resources, it is inevitable. And it may not be some big public failing that we're ashamed of, but if we do God's work in our strength, then it's a sin before God and we have failed just as miserably, although maybe the whole world doesn't see it. But in the end, we may not fall on our face in public, but when we stand before God and we seek a reward from Him at the judgment seat, there will be none. Whether due to it be public or, be, or, or because sin separates us, we find ourselves in isolation. That's the result of trying to do God's work in our strength. But there's good news to be found. There's good news in isolation every time. Here it is. The second main point is that isolation leads us back to God. I mean, while our failure leads us to isolation, isolation leads us back to God. You see, and you say, how can that even happen? Well, isolation makes us aware of what we really are. We've already heard that. And in the life of Joseph, character is revealed in isolation. When we come to terms with who we really are, we realize, well, this is not what I want. Look, Moses flees to Midian and in chapter 2, he, he meets uh, this man named Jethro. He ends up marrying one of his daughters and they have a son. In verse 22 of chapter 2, it says, And she bare him a son, uh, Zipporah. She bare him, him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. You know what Gershom means? It means an alien there. Now, when I say aliens, we think flying saucers, but an alien is someone who's a resident of another country. And Moses is basically, this is a glimpse into his mindset, he is in a place that he never wanted to be. He's in Midian, he's in the wilderness. I mean, it says later he's in the backside of the desert. He's in a place he never wanted to be and he does not fit in. And in his mind, he calls him his son Gershom, it's an alien there. Like, we have no place here. It's a glimpse into his, whole, into his state of mind. I have no place in the world. I'm an outcast. I'm a reject. Egypt wants to kill me. I have nobody. I am nobody. That's his mindset. Isolation removes everything from us, including our identity. You see, we can be one thing in public, like Moses. He was Pharaoh's son. He was the prince of Egypt in public. But when all of that was stripped away, and now he's by himself in the wilderness, he's not the prince of Egypt anymore. He's a nobody. Isolation does that. It strips all of our identity away, and it, now it's just us and God. And before God, folks, we are nobody. By the time you get to chapter 3, I'm going to look at some verses there. And Then Moses is 80 years old. So when he was 40, when he had his public failing, and now we're fast-forwarding 40 years from chapter 2 to chapter 3, and it says that he's in the backside of the desert, and he's all alone, he's in isolation, and he's been there for 40 years. And can you imagine, after having a major public failing... After 40 years, how many times he's probably replayed that failure over and over in his mind? Are you that, do you do that? Uh, I've done that plenty of times where I, I say something in public that is embarrassing. And in my mind, I replay it over and over. And I just can't, 
I can't get over the fact that I said it. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I replay it over and over. Can you imagine then, in isolation with hardly anybody else to talk to, for 40 years, the last major public act that you had was you killed an Egyptian and were driven out of Egypt because of your major public failing. I mean, how many times has he thought, well, I was not strong enough to deliver Israel in my own strength? I mean, I, I doubt that Moses at this point is thinking, I bet I could do it, though, again if I tried. I doubt it. I, I imagine at this point he's at a place where he thinks, there's no way I'll ever be used again. I'm not strong enough. I'm a nobody. God has forgotten about me. He's not Egyptian Moses anymore. He's a no-name shepherd in the backside of the desert with no resemblance of his old life. He has felt the effects of isolation for 40 years. And we say, how sad is that? And yet very often it's through the isolation that God brings us to the place he wants us. Isolation brings us to the place that we feel the broken fellowship between us and the Lord. When you're isolated and you're all alone and you had either a public failure or a private failure and you're by yourself with nobody else and not even God because you're separated from God because of your sin, you feel isolated and you feel that, that, that emptiness in your heart that you really want with you and God, but it's, there's nothing there and it's no fun. But I can tell you that loneliness can be helpful in that it reminds us how much we need fellowship with God you know there's this thing called church discipline and I've only seen it a few times and I I don't it's not something anybody enjoys but when someone has has a failure a a big failure a, a big sin in their life and they just they fail and they they have sin and the church maybe thinks it's time uh, to deal with it uh, I've seen this happen a few times you know part of the reason for church discipline, and I'm sure people do it different ways, but part of the reason for church discipline when a member falls into sin is to remove them from fellowship. And it's not just to protect everybody else because the purpose of church discipline is restoration. And when you remove somebody from fellowship and they don't have the fellowship anymore and they don't have the friendships anymore and they don't have that connection with people, they feel isolated and what you are doing is putting them in a position where they, that broken fellowship with the church family becomes a reminder of the kind of broken fellowship that we have with God when we sin. And it's awful. And yet I've seen it work before in people's lives through church discipline. You separate them from fellowship. You're not, you, you don't have fellowship. You don't have conversations. They just have to feel what it's like to be lonely. And, I, and people come back with, if they respond correctly with repentance because the fellowship and the isolation is so lonely. And they, they're back ready for, in the place where they're ready for restoration. Because they felt isolation. See, isolation, as bad as it is, it gives us a glimpse in what it's like to have our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, broken. It can help us in that we no longer want to feel its effects. And we don't want to be lonely anymore. I don't like to spend time alone when my family goes out of town. I drive myself crazy. I, I don't want to be in the house alone. I want to have people there. And I'm sure that many of you feel that same way. But, but I mean, when we feel the effects of isolation, we want to be restored. We want the relationship back again. That's what isolation can do for us. 
So God comes to Moses and he calls him back to the work. And, and I love that God doesn't come calling Egyptian Moses. He calls nobody Moses. Nobody Moses. He's nobody anymore. Nobody Moses. He doesn't think he can do it in his own strength anymore. Nobody Moses. He's not relying on the, on the strength of his hands to do God's work. God comes to Moses in the form of this burning bush. And, and this is a famous story. I'm not going to have time to get through all of it. But his message is one that I think Moses probably wanted to hear. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Can you imagine Moses, if he had a heart to deliver Israel way back when, he's probably saying, amen, I'm so glad you're going to go find you're going to go back and get the children of Israel and get them out. Verse 8, and I, and I come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Moses said, amen. And to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And, he's, and Moses is like, hallelujah, it's about time. Thank you, Lord, for going to deliver them. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And Moses is getting excited. I can just imagine it. Yes, God. Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know who's going to do it, but I'm really glad, God, that you're going to go deliver them. In verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And can you imagine Moses jaw dropping? Because in Moses' mind, he was qualified for deliverance when he was the prince of Egypt. But now he's nobody, Moses, and he's not qualified for the job at all. Look at verse 11, Moses' response. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? That I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? What? I mean, back in one chapter before, 40 years ago, he was thinking, I'm the guy. I'm the prince of Egypt. I am strong enough to do this. And now he's like, who am I? God, I'm nobody. But I think we start to see the way that isolation works in somebody's life. Because nobody, Moses, is the guy God was looking for. God wasn't looking for prince of Egypt, Moses. He's looking for the one who will not try to do it in his own strength. And yet he's, in, he's a nobody and he has to lean on God for it. And we find as we go through here, Moses has no confidence. Who am I? I'm a nobody. I mean, we, we could go to chapter 4 and, and we won't read it. But how God, Moses says, um, who, I can't even speak. I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore. Well, if you're going to try to convince somebody you're, you're not eloquent, don't say heretofore. That's, the, that's my first uh, my first qualification, but he says, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Basically, he's saying, I've been in the back of the side of the desert for 40 years. I've only been talking to sheep for 40 years. I can't go talk to Pharaoh. I don't remember the language. I mean, I can't do this. And he has all of these um, questions for God and all of these things. It, it's just, I can't do this, God. It's, I'm not the right guy. I'm not qualified for this. But listen, it takes God answering every one of Moses' questions to convince him he is the guy. And isolation, being all alone for 40 years, was what God used to turn Moses into a usable vessel 
for his work. It wasn't until Moses became nobody that God could use him. He had to stop trusting in his strength and stop trusting in his wisdom and stop trusting in his own experience and and personality. Moses had to take his eyes off of himself, somebody Moses, and look to God for his strength. And at the end of himself, after all that he was, was stripped away in isolation, that's when God came along and said, now you're ready. Moses, you're the guy. Nobody, Moses, you're the guy. Somebody, Moses, depended on himself. But nobody, Moses, had God's presence and power. Look at, verse, look at the promises in verse 12 of chapter 3. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. This shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, here's, here he has all of these, um, these questions. And he's, he, uh, he says, But when I come and I tell them, uh, shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What's his name? What shall I say? I don't even know your name. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And we could go through it. It's a great passage. I I wish we had more time. Listen, somebody Moses depended on himself and his own strength. But nobody Moses has promises of God's presence and power. God is with nobody, Moses. You tell me which is most effective in God's work. Our limited wisdom and power or God's unlimited wisdom and power. When we choose to serve God in our own strength. The only help we get is what we have to offer. Think about that. When I choose to serve God in my strength, the only help I get is what I have to offer. And that's not very much. But when we choose to serve God in his strength, when we approach him as a nobody, we get everything he has to offer, which is everything we need. So are you a somebody Christian or a nobody Christian in the way that you work for the Lord? Do you go out in your own strength and your own wisdom? And I've been doing this for 20 years. I know the routine. I don't have to hardly try. I hardly have to practice. I don't have to put much time in. I've got what it takes because I've been doing this for a while. No, that's what a somebody Christian says. God's not looking for somebody Christians. He's looking for nobody Christians who say, who am I? Here are the marks of somebody Christians. They're proud. And it may not be public, but inside they're proud. They're self-sufficient. They're not good listeners. They do things in their own wisdom and they don't daily depend on God. They do the work of God without his help. And they find themselves spiritually isolated, spiritual distance. And our church is, of course, right now things look different, but when we get back... There's no better time to evaluate these things than right now. Teachers, when you get back, are you going to go back to the routine of somebody Christian? I've been doing this for a long time. I know the routine. I hardly have to try. I've really got these things down. And are you going to do it in your own strength? Are you going to lean on God for his like a nobody Christian? Those working in the nursery and working on the buses and if we get a chance to have a choir ever again. 
those involved in special music or in the choir, do you, do, do you ask God for his strength and wisdom? Because you're not just doing something. You're serving God and you're ministering to people and you're lifting up his name in worship. That's not small stuff. Parents, you're raising children for God. When's the last time you got on your knees and you begged him to give you wisdom to know how to deal with this child because they're this way and this child is this way and we have five and they're, they're all different ways and you need God's help to know how to deal with children. And yet if we want to raise them for God, for his work, and we're doing it in our strength, do you think that's going to happen? We need God's help every day. Spouses, if you're trying to help each other serve God and, and love God and be right with God and live for God, and yet you're doing it in your own strength, it won't last long. Children and teenagers, you want to follow God and follow your parents, and yet you don't give God the time of day ever. You think he'll give you the strength to do his work if you don't trust him? Do you live your life for God or are you trying to serve him in, in, in your strength? If it's in yours, sin leads you to isolation. And you're going to find yourself far from God either in a public failure or in private burnout. But if you serve God in his power, you have God's promised continual presence and power, just like Moses. That's the mark. The marks of the nobody Christians are they depend daily on Christ for his strength. It's not about them. They, they serve without expectation of recognition. They just simply live in God's strength. They seek his word for wisdom. They trust that wisdom to serve. And they continually ask God for his help in their task. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the saying bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing, folks. Did you hear that? Apart from Christ's help, if we're unattached to the vine, we cannot bear fruit. We can look like a good vine, and we can look like we're going to bear fruit, but according to that verse, if we're unattached to the vine, then we can do nothing. Nobody Christians know that, and they're fruitful, because they're nobody anyway, so they stay attached. They live in a way that God's pleased with and blesses, but somebody Christians, which we can all be, just like Moses, they're fruitless, and their efforts fail. They try their best, but in limited power, they only learn failure and isolation. So what were Moses' lessons in isolation? Well, his attempts, or here's the lessons. Attempts in our strength lead to failure. Every time. And it may not be public and it may not be visible, but God knows. And your attempts in your own strength someday may lead to failure at the judgment seat of Christ when you are presented with nothing and you walk away with empty arms because you lived in your own strength. Attempts in our strength lead to failure Another lesson from Moses in isolation is that failure leads to isolation. You will find yourself either isolated from other people in your life, but always from God, isolated. But isolated reveals who we are before God. In some ways, isolation is a gift because there's nobody else and we come face to face with who we are. And you know who we are when we come face to face with God? We're nobodies. 
So isolation brings us to the point of being usable. Isn't that incredible? I mean, attempts in our strength lead to failure. Failure leads to isolation. Isolation reveals who we are, which is nobody. But that's exactly where God wants to take us so that we're now usable. Only an incredible, supernatural, divine God can use something as difficult as isolation to be profitable for us. So let's not waste this lesson in isolation. You may be in isolation because of some failure or some decision, or it's even private isolation nobody else knows about. Well, the great thing is, it's an isolation. That's when God can show us what we are and bring us back. He doesn't want you to stay in isolation. He, he, if we draw nigh to God, he says he will draw nigh to us. If we confess our sins, he's a faithful and just God. He'll forgive us of our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, that proximity to God, um, if you're spaced out, if you're isolated, if there's spiritual distancing, uh, when we come to him in humility, he always welcomes us back. And it's when we come as nobodies that we are usable. Don't waste this lesson in isolation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.